0: I'd like to call the regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council for December fourth, 2023, to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to
1: the flag flag of the United
0: States States of America, to the republic Republic for which it stands, one nation, nation under under God, God, indivisible, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully? Present.
2: Deputy Mayor Robertson? Here. Councilmember Mork? Present. Councilmember Ramsdale? Present. Councilmember McConnell, present. Councilmember council Councilmember Roberts.
0: All right. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any changes to the proposed agenda? I don't, I, I. Um, are there any changes to the proposed agenda? All right. Seeing none, the agenda is adopted as proposed. Next up is report of the city manager, Mr. Ellingson.
3: Good evening, Council. I'd like to begin with some reminders that we as we enter the rainy week. The National Weather Service is forecasting an atmospheric river heading to the region bringing up to three inches of rain in the next couple of days. We're asking residents to make sure the storm drains in their neighborhood are clear of leaves and debris to help prevent flooding in the roadway. Keeping your home gutters and downspouts clear can help prevent problems in your home and on your property. And we have our free self-serve sandbag station at Hamlin Park ready to go for anyone who needs some for their property. Please bring your own shovel. As always, our team is ready to respond to flooding. Please call 206-801-2700 immediately if you see a storm drain or ditch backing up or flooding on a roadway. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash storm ready for more information. And one last call for our community to help shape Shoreline's future. Please take the opportunity to share your thoughts in an online survey for the City's Comprehensive Plan Update. The plan will guide the City's next 20 years, and we want to ensure our community's voice is reflected in our future decision-making. Learn more about the Comprehensive Plan Update process and find the link to the survey at shorelinewa.gov forward slash 2044. The survey is open through December 10th. And finally, the PRCS Tree Board will meet on Thursday, December 7th in Room 303 and online via Zoom. For the agenda and information on how to participate, visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. The Planning Commission meeting originally scheduled for December 7th has been canceled, and the next meeting will be held on December 21st. We will be back here next Monday for our last meeting of the year. And that concludes the city manager's report.
0: Thank you, Mr. Ellingson. Um, Councilmember Poby has joined, and Councilmember Roberts just texted and indicated that his flight was delayed and he would be joining remotely uh, in approximately an hour. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports? Councilmember Mork.
4: Thank you, Mayor. I attended the King County Climate uh, Collaboration for Cities group, K4C. And what we learned there is is that King County Council has made a resolution to study a climate levy for potential uh, for potentially putting on the ballot next year. They want to include review of different funding sources, the potential to add affordable housing, and uh, they have want to have the staff to have prepared the recommendations by March. So there'll be a lot of people working on. Different elements uh, that might possibly go on that. The other thing that happened is is that various cities talked about what climate data we should be tracking, and I thought that was an interesting question. And finally, uh, the comp plan and the and climate obviously have a lot to do to eat together, and uh, just discussion on how we might maximize that. Thank you.
0: Any other council reports? I had a couple. Um, I attended RRI night, which is the South Korean community celebration this last Saturday. Always delighted to see a celebration of all our diverse communities. This was unfortunately in Baffle, although I'm trying to lure them here uh, next year. Um, second, uh, City Manager Ellington and I met today with a staff member from uh, Senator Colwell's Senator, <laughs> Senator office. Um, and she was very helpful and eager to work with us going forward. Also delighted to announce that we've received a TIB grant to finish out a section of sidewalk on 8th Avenue Northwest. Any other council reports? Next up is public comments. This is an opportunity for members of the public to address us on anything on the agenda or of concern to the city. We have over 20 people signed up tonight, which means we'll be limited to two minutes, and is there a motion related to the overall time? Deputy Mayor.
5: I move that we waive the council time limit rules to allow everyone who signed up the opportunity to speak.
0: Second day. Right. Any opposition? All right, seeing none, that council rule will be, will be waived, which means everyone has two minutes. I'm going to do the in-person folks who have signed up first, and then we'll go to the online. Ms. Similchek-Smith.
2: Jack Malik. And then I'm going to call the next three so you can line up behind the podium. Next will be Cindy McRae and then Jill Byler.
6: Great. Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Malik. I'm a resident of Shoreline, um, and I'm speaking to you uh, on two different uh, topics. In the first, I'm speaking to you as a representative from the Arts Council, so I'm a board member and love being a part of that. Um, anyway, we just wanted as a group to say thank you very much for the use of the uh, the parking facility for this year's holiday, uh, let's see, underground holiday market, the, the Holiday Bazaar. But the underground holiday market, absolute success. Really, really great, and thank you. Um, it was on November 18th with the city support, also some support from the Shoreline uh, Farmers Market folks. Um, we brought almost 4,500 people. I mean, it was just huge number of folks who came through and, and shopped, and it was great. Um, the snapshot of the numbers are 85 hand-picked artists and makers three food trucks, three musical performers, 140 hands-on snow globe craftsmakers, makers, <laughs> very cute, very fun, 28 volunteers, and just a swath of uh, community sponsors, So, and we want to thank, again, the city for partnering with us to make that happen. We look forward to doing that again in 2024, um, and also uh, would hope... You know, you guys can join us at the Lantern Festival. that will be at the Spartan Rec Center. Again, another thing you guys help us with, and we so appreciate it. It's, it's needed and, and appreciated. Okay, and then the next thing that I, I want to speak on is um, Jack the Realtor. And, and uh, I just wanted to say that I disagree with, the, uh, with 8A, item 8A. I don't believe those rules should be made permanent for the commercial ground level. I think we need to think broader and bigger for that. Um, I think we have time to do that because I don't think a lot of permits are being, you know, given right now on much of that land. Um, Just and even if they are, people aren't dropping lumber because right now interest rates are too high. And with that said, this is a great opportunity for us to rethink that. My feeling would be do something on a grander scale like a business district. My suggestion would be to partner with the North City District. Thank you, North City. And keep it at the 185th Street. Light Rail. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mellon. Uh,
7: my name is Cindy McRae, and I am a Shoreline resident. Um, my concern today is Proposition 996. And in part, this has to do with some of the things that I found out that's going on with the senior center and housing. Um, a lot of households can't afford a large rent increase and they face a tight rental market with few affordable options which can lead to homelessness, not necessarily. The number one Id- area identified in the Shoreline Citizen Satisfaction Survey, survey is a response to homelessness. And um, the ho- rise in housing insecurity is especially hard on children because they have to move a lot and it impacts their mental health, their schooling, um, and goes on into their teenage years. Render protections serve as an eviction prevention and help people from losing their home. They are an important tool and really to help prevent homelessness. Um, Proposal 996 is reasonable and it should not significantly impact the operation of most landlords. The King County renter protection comparison um, that is on the city council website shows that the proposed ordinance is in line with unincorporated King County, Auburn, Kenmore, Redmond, Kirkland, and Burien. Seattle has um, some higher renter protections than Shoreline is proposing, as do a couple of the others that I've mentioned. Every renter deserves protection no matter where they live or who their landlord is. Shoreline's current Housing Action Plan also reflects commitments to strengthen and protection for shoreline renters, with goals of serving low-income households and minimizing displacement. Um, the Shoreline City staff recommends that the City Council adopt this proposed ordinance. And the items, this item supports the following City Council goals of expanding the City's focus on equity and social justice and work to become anti Thank you anti-resist. for your comments. I, I, I'm out.
0: You're out. Thank you.
7: Sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's Understood. There's a timer up there if you want to watch your time, and I apologize for being a little harsher on it than usual. We have a lot of folks signed up. Whenever you're ready.
8: Sure. Hi, I'm Jill Beeler. I'm here on behalf of the Shoreline Lake Forest Park Senior Activity Center and the 12,000 seniors that we pre- represent in the city of Shoreline. As a social worker for the Center, I've met with over 200 seniors in our community, many of whom are renters. These seniors want to continue to live in the community in which they have raised their children, have developed long-lasting relationships and connections to medical providers and community organizations. The Senior Center wholeheartedly supports the need for additional tenant protections under Ordinance 996. A 60-day rent increase notice does not provide enough time for a senior to apply for benefits or utility discounts to try to offset the rent increase. For seniors who cannot pay this increase, more time is needed to research alternative housing options due to the shortage of affordable housing in our community. When a senior has been fortunate enough to find new housing, the moving costs and security deposit have often proven prohibitive. When living on a fixed income, there isn't the opportunity to save extra money for these costs while trying to meet their basic needs. The organizations that provide financial, financial assistance for these costs do not have enough funds to help everyone in need. A fairer payment plan that allows installments would be most helpful. For seniors who have had an occasional late rent payment, high late fees only add to their burden and interfere with the next month's rent payment. Aligning rent due dates with benefit payments would enable seniors to budget appropriately. Providing these additional tenant protections would help to ease the already challenging issue of finding affordable housing in a line. The majority of seniors I meet with are living on fixed incomes from Social Security using a range of $1,100 to $1,700 a month affordable housing with these income levels is near impossible. The subsidized apartments have several years waiting lists and the newer developments which have MFTE rates are often equal to their entirely monthly income. Even homeowners who rent a bedroom in their home are asking in the range of 800 to 1000. Thus the addition of tenants' protections would enable more seniors to stay in their existing rentals, make it easier to move into alternative housing. In order to have a healthy and vibrant community, we need to be able to support our senior residents who contributed economically and socially to our communities throughout the years. Perfect
7: timing. <laughs> thank you.
2: The next three speakers are Tris Haynes, Janelle Woolsey, and Dennis Casper.
9: Good evening. Um, thank you for bringing with me. Um, as a shoreline renter I would like to speak in favor of adopting the proposed tenant protections, uh, Proposal Nine Nine Six. Um, excuse I've. As a renter and a tenant organizer, I've seen firsthand and lived the consequences of Seattle's housing crisis. I have struggled to, to stay within transit range of my work, of like my social and, and political activities. I've watched friends struggle to stay stably housed. I know that there's going to be a number of landlords in this audience who are going to tell you a lot of horror stories about tenants who and, you know, who, and the experiences that they've had, especially in the early phases of, of COVID Um, when there were were actually significant tenant protections. What I will submit to you is that these landlords lost money and experienced inconvenience. Meanwhile, their tenants, in many cases, lost their housing. I think what's actually critical to think about here is that this is the crush of the issue. The landlord has on the line their return on investments, their time, the conditions of properties they do not live in. The tenant has at stake their home, usually the only shelter they or their family has. So... I want to also draw the council's attention to the question of enforcement. Uh, I think that basically this bill should be adopted, but I think that the council should like at at some point in the future consider enforcement of the tenant protections um, through some means other than, forgive me, is it the private uh, right of reply, the private right of of suit? Uh, The the reality, of course, we all understand that low-income people do not have great access to the court system. So, anyway. I want to thank the. I salute this council and want to thank you for taking one small step towards addressing Seattle's housing crisis. The crisis of Seattle and the regions around it. Thank you.
7: Thank you.
10: I have time. mine at two point three thirty seconds, so I'm going to talk really fast. My name is Janelle Woolsey. I live in Shoreline, Washington, and have lived here since 1973. I was a homeowner from 1974 to 1987. I was a landlord for three of those years, and I have rented my current apartment for 35 years. During the 35 years renting, there have been only two different landlords to work with, both very reasonable. The apartment buildings where I live were recently sold. I'm concerned about the new management company being reasonable and fair. My hope is that they will be, However, most rules are not needed for the reasonable and those who practice fair behavior. They are for the benefit of those on the margins of financial insecurity, and must add, and I must add, for an even playing field for late landlords, which means for the benefit of all citizens in Shoreline. People who lose their housing can be a drain on all residents. The suggested municipal court regarding Residential Tenant Protections 996 appears to me to be reasonable. I now pay 36% of my net income on rent. My income is from Social Security and retirement. I fully expect my rent to increase in at least a couple of ways. We've been told we will have a flat fee increase of about $125 per unit for shared expenses from water, sewer, and garbage, which we have not paid before. Tenants have been told to expect a fee for parking in the parking lot. Some tenants have been told to expect an increase to market rate over a period of time, which seems reasonable. The first two would be fees, not rent increases. However, it is an increase of expenses. I am your ideal tenant. All rent paid on time, no unnecessary noise, and I thank you. I suggest the 996 proposal is reasonable. In addition, having the same requirements as other King County Thank you for your comments. Thank
11: you. Good evening. My name is Dennis Casper, and I am a resident of the city of Shoreline, and it's a lovely place to live. I uh, I have been a property manager for about 40 years, and uh, 25 of those have been in Seattle. Uh, the last 25 I I don't wish to see the problems of Seattle migrate to Shoreline and so I am opposed to ordinance 996 because I think it will do exactly the opposite of what it's intended to do Uh, Allow me first to draw your attention to a an article that that came into the Seattle Times was written on the uh, it was published on the 30th of November, just last week, by a man by the name of Jason Roth, who's written about his hellish experience of having a, a tenant who never paid him any rent, and he never could get a uh, an eviction date for in the courts. He's finally got one now, tentatively set for April. And so it will mean that he has gone a, an entire year without being able to... to uh, w- without being able to have any rent income. He's got uh, attorney's fees and other expenses. Um, I've attached that in an in a, uh, email that I've sent to all of the council. Um, the, the, one of the secrets, uh, I don't know if it's a secret or not, but a lot of people say, well, um, we have this idea that, that uh, property managers are looking to evict people. That is so far from the truth, because w- what happens is you you lose money when you evict somebody. You, you th- there's no there's no gain to it. So um, I would suggest and urge the council to vote no on ordinance 996. Thank you, Mr. Casper.
2: The next three are Wickland, William Stapleton, John Tardiff, and Tim Marshall.
12: Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes, please go ahead. Okay, I'm
12: feeling lonely for a minute. Uh, in 1983, I bought a triplex. And at the time, the contract was one page, the walkthrough was a second page. Now, the last time I rented it, and I, I'm below market, my tenants usually stay five, six years. Last time I rented it was 12, 18 pages total. And because it's paid off, I'm really below uh, market, and one thing that worries me is eliminating the credit check, because I've been able to minimize evictions because of the credit check. I've had, uh, I was lending to some guy, it turns out he was somebody else. I checked on one that had perfect credit. They had four credit cards, and some were delinquent. So that uh, credit check is really important for me. And now that the average eviction has when I rented and when I bought the unit in three, you could evict someone maybe in one month now it 's a year, and most of these are below rate they 're owned by senior citizens, and they just get some spending money and that 's my case and I really don 't want to go through a one year eviction and that 's why I need to be able to do a credit check it 's very important and I got the two tenants that they 're great. But I don't, because of my age, I don't have to put up with that one year eviction. I'll just sell the unit and go on my way. And I can tell you the family the families that are living there, they won't be able to afford a market-rate apartment. They'll have to move out. So that's my, uh, my one thing, uh, eliminating the uh, credit check. That's really important. And thank you. Thank
0: you.
13: John Tardif, resident of Shoreline, born here. I have a rental house over in the Ridgecrest area. It's owned for 40 years. During that time, I've only had five tenants. Had great luck in the city, liked the city, grew up here. I believe your statement he made about how the credit report scoring is very important. A credit report scoring is used in Seattle regularly to set a criteria for tenants that apply for any application on a property. It'll say, I want a credit score of 700. I want a credit score of 650. I want a credit score of 780. They know what they're up against right away. Most everybody can now access their credit report online through their bank or any other service they have. It puts it on an even playing field when you're uh, dealing with applicants of how are you determining who you should take so you don't make mistakes about other issues. It's set by the credit score. I believe that is a very important item to have and eliminating the credit scoring is a mistake which will compromise the smaller renter landlords like myself. The 120 day notice. I think 60 day would be fair. I deal with the 120 day, uh, 180 day in Seattle. It's worked out great because what I do is I send out a 180 day notice of the full 9.95 percent increase that you're gonna pay in 180 days and wait for them to respond and then I say well look the market's not quite as strong hey if I lower the rent from what I said would you stay but if I don't do that because this is the way it's written I don't have a choice so the way you write these things puts the smaller homeowner in a real problem of how he can respond to the marketplace when the place comes available versus 180 days before so right now to do this if you had a tenant moving in June you'd be sending the notice out today for the rent increase So I think that's a uh, a thing that is not the best. Late fees, I think at least a 1.5% late fee is fair. Um,
14: Yeah, you can have my second.
1: Thank you.
15: Hello, Uh, thank you for being here, city council members. Uh, My name is Tim Marshall, and I wanna speak in support of proposed ordinance 996. Uh, I have lived in Shoreline with my partner for the past year and a half. Initially, we moved here because we were priced out of the City of Seattle. However, Shoreline has become home for both of us. We have things that we can't get anywhere else, including the Interurban Trail, Richmond Beach Saltwater Park, and Black Coffee Northwest, to name a few. I'm also proud to be a Shoreline resident because of the effort the City has made to invest in serving people with barriers to behavioral health. Thank you for signing on to Regional Crisis Response. While I love it here, I worry about how long we can afford to stay. Our rent, uh, currently barely, well in the past, barely affordable, has been raised significantly. Uh, We were proposed a rent increase uh, when re-signing our lease a few months ago. In response, we changed units uh, to downsize a bit and reduce costs. However, in that process, we were required to pay a number of different non-refundable security deposits and um, an administrative fee, whatever that was, despite having paid all of these items upon moving in as original tenants, Uh, and without warning. We are a two-income household, myself working at a 501 3 nonprofit in Seattle and my partner being a barista in Shoreline, and we spend more than 50% of our combined household income to make rent and parking. Um, this leaves us severely rent burdened and without much money uh, to invest in the local economy, let alone affording things like gas, groceries, and utilities. Uh, By enacting rental protections or beginning the conversation about rental protections in Shoreline, I believe that you can help us stay in Shoreline as well as stay housed. I appreciate your courage and commitment to having this conversation. And all things holding steady, I know that certain protections can keep us from being priced out. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: The last two (coughs) in-person speakers signed up are Michael Troyer and Marilyn Yim.
0: And I see a gentleman at the back we're gonna do all the folks who've signed up all the remote and then I'll ask for folks who didn't get a chance to sign
16: up So it'll be a bit, but you will get to speak Whenever you're ready. Good evening. My name is Michael Troyer, and I'm a resident of Lake Forest Park as a member of the North Urban Human Services Alliance I'm speaking in favor of the renter protections in ordinance 996 and ask for your support for a new chapter regarding residential tenant protections so several um, rebuttals to public comment given to you last month. Related to notice, 120 to 180 days <clears throat> is a reasonable amount of notice. This part of the ordinance really helps provide both the tenant and the landlord plenty of time to uh, react. When a family chooses to move due to an increase in cost, the time frame should be extended, just in this tight, um, tight mark housing market. As it relates to a uh, comment about Social Security numbers, the ordinance doesn't require Social Security numbers to be provided, but it does allow the landlord to ask for them. Um, there are many means of ways for landlords to obtain the information to establish an agreement. Criminal records are part of public record, while Social Security numbers are private and sensitive personal information. No criminal record is only associated with a Social Security number nor is any criminal record searchable by Social Security number. Late fees. The cities of Auburn, Bury, and Seattle have implemented a flat $10 cap on late fees. While capping late fees at 1.5% is far better uh, than having no cap, Uh, we prefer the low flat cap for a few reasons. It's simple and easy to understand, whereas a percentage cap will often be written into lease agreements as a percentage So please consider that. Move-in fees. Having a stated sum of one month's rent to cover all associated move-in fees uh, is easy for a tenant to understand. New research from small landlords. The evidence that was uh, presented in rebuttal last time, uh, there's a research project from the University of Washington that shows that the small mom and pops are not fleeing. And um, these protections work. Thank you.
17: Good evening, council. My name is Marilyn Yim. Um, I am a resident of Seattle, but we started out in Shoreline. I explained that last time I was here with you. Um, but we stay connected to Shoreline by choice. Um, I spent 19 years of my career working here, and I'm to this day a Shoreline public school parent. Um, the house that we purchased in Shoreline was our very first, and we've hung on to it as our uh, rental property as well for 20 years that my husband and I have owned and operated it as um, literal mom and pop. It's he, him and me and our three kids. Um, Seattle has lost a significant percentage of rental housing, which has really also shifted the ownership profile of rental property owners away from people like us, who are very connected to the community, connected to our uh, rental res- uh, our tenants as well, more towards the you know the corporate landlords that people seem to really hate and seem to be really directing these uh, regulations at. So I just wanted to put that as a note of caution here, that we really want to, I think, seek moderation more. Um, I wanted to spotlight on the right of private action. I think it's interesting that some tenants were speaking against it. That's something I also wanted to highlight, because it's not really highlighted in a lot of the materials. But that's something that really um, opens up the door to extended litigation. um, Where tenants right now have uh, publicly funded lawyers, uh, property owners do not. And so facing the prospect of lengthy drawn out cases, the burden of legal fees that we don't get help with, that is a significant burden that somebody like me would not be able to really face, especially when it's uh, potentially against a a very relatively small issue. So I would just really submit that we wanna, I would ask you to choose a more moderate approach to that um, and ask you to look at what is the problem that we're trying to solve, if it's code compliance, litigation and punitive measures may not be the approach working with the property owner to gain compliance and uh and, and try to actually achieve the repairs that are needed would be a better way to go um and and i just want you to just think through a lot of the consequences when we go overboard can really try to uh, it can actually harm the renters that we're trying to protect to protect here through uh less rental housing through um you know so- social security numbers that can provide incomplete thank and, you for and your information Thank you so
2: much. Okay, Okay, moving to online speakers. Next up is Rob Beam.
18: Good evening, Mayor, Council. My name is Rob Beam. I'm here representing the North Urban Human Service Alliance uh, as chair of their Housing and Homelessness Committee. Uh, I spoke to you at your last meeting, uh, continued to support the staff's proposal uh, on tenant protections. with a couple of areas of emphasis. I won't go into a lot of detail because you heard some very compelling testimony so far tonight about the effect on seniors and families looking to uh, predictability and stability in their housing. One thing that's come up uh, in the interim is uh, a deeper understanding of the implications for junk fees or notice fees. Uh, Materials provided to you tonight uh, offer a way to increase the protection for tenants uh, facing a variety of uh, fees implemented on short notice which really don't bear much uh, resemblance or uh, balance to uh, what's being charged, such as a fee for delivering a notice to a tenant. Uh, The second uh, one, uh, I've done a little uh, internet research myself and discovered that there are indeed alternate ways to secure uh, credit information on tenants uh, that don't require a social security number. There were just quickly a number of options available. Uh, so I encourage you to continue with the staff's recommendation on social security numbers. And I really want to thank the council for looking for ways to, uh, balance the power relationship between people whose homes are vulnerable, uh, with people who provide a service to the community by maintaining, uh, safe and habitable housing Uh, appreciate your time uh look forward to your action next week thank you thank you
2: next is constance nelson however i do not see her in the list of attendees constance if you're here please raise your hand okay moving on to katie wilson
19: Hello, can you hear me?
0: Yes, please go ahead.
19: Great. Um, Thank you. So, uh, my name is Katie Wilson, and I'm uh, here representing the Transit Riders Union. Over the past few years, we've been working with dozens of service providers, faith groups, labor unions, and community organizations to support cities around King County in passing stronger protections for renters. We've seen rents going up and up in shoreline as they have been all around King County. So we are very glad to hear that you're moving forward with uh, renter protection legislation this month. We support the proposed ordinance and urge you not to weaken it and to consider strengthening it in a couple of ways. A previous speaker spoke about potentially capping late fees at a flat $10 as the cities of Auburn, Burien and Seattle have all done. Um, We definitely support that for the simplicity um, and also just to keep things low, um, tenants generally prioritize on-time rental payment because paying late means that a landlord can start eviction proceedings. This is a very strong motivation. Um, so late fees are really not necessary as an extra incentive. And if a tenant can't afford their rent, they also can't afford high late fees that just will put them into debt. And often service providers end up spending a lot of money to pay down uh, tenant's accumulated late fee debt. Um, we also r- really cons- uh, urge you to consider adding a ban on notice delivery fees, which is something that Seattle did at the same time as they passed late fee legislation. Basically, this is a fee a landlord charges any they deliver a notice on your door. So it's this kind of arbitrary fee. Um, and so that could be a late fee notice, right? So this becomes a loophole in a late fee cap, because a landlord can simply tack on a notice delivery fee of as much as they want. Um, so we urge you to consider that. Um, and then finally, just you know, keep the legislation strong, make sure it applies to all renters. As a previous speaker noted, there's actually some new research um, just out of UW that shows that um, small landlords in Seattle actually have not been exiting the market um, due to rental regulations there. Um, so thank you again, um, and we look forward to seeing you pass this legislation next week. Thank you. Rob Huff is next.
14: Hello, can you hear me?
0: Yes, go ahead whenever you're ready.
14: Sure. I'm Rob Huff from the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance and Housing Alliance Action Fund, joining today from Tacoma. We urge you to pass the package of important tenant protections in Ordinance 996. Rents have been going up everywhere in the state, and Shoreline is not insulated from the broader housing trends, but you can take action to protect the rental households in your city. We've heard from Shoreline renters about their struggles, and they've given us permission to share a couple of their stories. One shoreline renter received a $390 rent increase last year. She has a section eight voucher, which you'd think would protect her, but her portion of the rent also went up with this rent increase from $723 to $905. Her utilities also increased significantly. And she shared that quote, she still has, hasn't unpacked since moving in in fear of being evicted because the rent increase is too high. She also shared that she is a union member working at a local grocery store, and although they were able to negotiate an increase in pay, all of that increase is going to the landlord. Another Shoreline renter shared that she recently received a $115 rent increase, and now will struggle even more to pay $1,800 a month in rent. She shared, quote, we were living in a storage unit before this apartment, and now rent is even higher paying rent is really a struggle. The passage of Ordinance 996 will help increase racial equity in Shoreline as data on rent increases in Washington consistently show that black indigenous and Latinx renters are much more likely to receive rent increases and also to be behind on rent. Um, and We want to thank you for, the, for your work to protect tenants. Those, these protections are fundamental To ensuring housing stability and preventing homelessness. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Corey Helseth.
0: They're online, just not. They are. Okay. Everybody hear me? Yes, go ahead whenever you're ready.
20: Okay, thank you. Um, my name is Corey Jolseth. I'm calling on behalf of the Rental Housing Association of Washington and our over 5,000 members from across Washington State. I'm here today to urge the city council to consider the harmful impacts of ordinance 996. Um, both 120 and 180 day notice requirements for rent increases uh, will honestly result in rents going up uh, quicker as housing providers will need to assume what costs might be incurred in the future state of the rental market four or six months down the line. Uh, a rental housing provider does not know six months ahead of time how much utilities or insurance may increase um, and as such will err on the side of caution and go higher with their annual rent increase. Um, also the proposed, proposed late fee cap of 1.5% would impose uh, great economic hardship on rental housing providers. Um, if a housing provider is late on their mortgage payment, the cost to them is much higher than 1.5%. Um, no one wants to collect late fees, but uh, 1.5% uh, it seems it seems too low. Um, the item in this ordinance about private right of action uh, would only incentivize attorneys to pursue small rental housing providers who may misunderstand uh, many of the new policies that will be put into place by this ordinance, um, an innocent mistake by a housing provider or some small step missed may result in legal action that could cost the housing provider uh, thousands of dollars out of pocket with the uh, three months rent owed to the tenant in addition to uh, any attorney's fees that the tenant may incur. Um, this, again, this policy would also cause rent to increase at a faster rate as a small mom and pop landlords who our organization mainly represents uh, will be worried about having enough uh, money to cover a possible lengthy litigation of any kind. Um, Next, a uh, housing provider's ability to screen someone using their social security number uh, limits the information a housing provider can learn about their prospective resident uh, when performing a background check. Uh, the lack of information has the potential to jeopardize the safety and well-being of both current residents as well as the housing provider. Thank you for your um, comments. And the- Thank, you. Thank you.
2: Next is Bart Flora. Mr. Flora is on the telephone, so I'm gonna ask you to unmute. And then because he's on the phone, he will not be able to see the timer.
21: Hello, can you you hear me? Yeah, whenever you're ready. Okay, hey, So, uh, my name's Bart Flora. I own an affordable housing building in Shoreline. It's the interurban lofts, 80 units on Aurora, uh, just south of 175th. We came, my partner and I, in that project came to the city of Shoreline because of the need for affordable housing as does exist in uh, all over the state. And we came here because of the, uh, you know, the, the, we left Seattle basically is what I'm trying to say. I will never, I own several buildings in Seattle, the ordinance that ordinances that have been passed in the past three or four years, the anti landlord uh, ordinances have done nothing but deteriorate the housing stock and has caused me to be uh to to operate in a different way and and one of the uh points of my opposition to 996 is the um issue of um uh issuing rent increased notices i in my history, 35 years of owning buildings, I always gave moderate rent increases, like three or four percent. When the city of Seattle implemented a six-month requirement, I take it to the ma- maximum of nine, just under 10 percent. And I could tell you all of these uh, ordinances proposed here will not uh, have the intended Uh, impact that you think it will. And the social security security requirement to to ban that, uh, to be able to retrieve that from a prospective tenant is crazy. To buy a house, a car, or refrigerator, you have to provide your social security number in order to get a uh, credit check. So I am opposed to 996. Thank you. Casey Burton is next.
22: hi there can you hear me
0: yes go ahead whenever you're ready
22: excellent thank you Uh, so my name is casey burton and i work as a senior staff attorney at the tenant law center we help folks throughout king county including shoreline and i talk to people every day who are increasing in increasingly desperate situations and again including shoreline and despite their best efforts their income simply doesn't keep up with how fast rents are rocketing up You have folks who are working really important jobs that keep society running, but they're not paid as much as they deserve. Uh, You have folks on a fixed income, retired people, people relying on social security and other benefits and more. It's really hard to get by these days. And it's in this context that I cannot overstate the importance of renter protections. If you wanna do something about homelessness, then you have to start with keeping people housed. And the protections before the council can help do just that. There's always a lot of pushback whenever any potential regulation is proposed in an industry, but we have to remember that every business and every industry is regulated to protect people. So I'm a bit of a history nerd, and I've done some decent learning about the creation of the Food and Drug Administration. When it was created, businesses said the regulations being passed would ruin them, despite the fact that they needed to protect human life and well-being. It turned out those regulations didn't destroy the industry, and when I saw, uh, pardon, and I just want to note again that the recent UW study came out and it says regulations do not destroy the market. They do not drive landlords out. When you turn a basic human need like shelter into a commodity, you have to be careful. And these regulations provide the opportunity to be careful and thoughtful about what you're doing to people and how you're taking care of all shoreline community members. Please pass these protections. Your community needs them. Thank you.
14: Thank you.
2: Next is Joe Levin, and he is also joining from the telephone.
23: Hi, uh, th- thank you, Council. Uh, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, whenever you're ready, Mr.
6: Levin.
23: Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Joe Levine, I'm a housing provider in Shoreline. Uh, we're a private provider of affordable housing for over 20 years in Shoreline. And other areas as well in Seattle and Kenmore and Bothell. We provide rental workforce housing, senior housing, and those on fixed incomes. We strongly oppose 996 tenant protections. It's problematic. There are adverse unintended consequences with this ordinance. Uh, when this ordinance, similar ordinances were passed in Seattle on rent increases and similar provisions, rents went up. It did not provide tenant protections. In the city of Kenmore, when it was passed 16 months ago, I was at the city council meeting. Subsequent to that, rents went up in the city of Kenmore. Uh, this is this ordinance is not the way to provide more affordable housing. I, I sit on committees for the state of Washington. I've been on the legislative bills to provide more affordable housing and there are other ways to do it, such as the MFTE program. Um, addressing some specific issues, restricting the use of social, social security numbers is extremely dangerous. The screening companies cannot adequately screen criminal backgrounds, sex offenders, kidnappers without a social security number. They can't do it out of state and the screening companies will tell you that. Four years ago in our building in North City, a tenant allowed her boyfriend to move in without a screening she called us and asked us to screen him our screening company found criminal fel- felony records out of state and active warrants for his his arrest for kidnapping and rape the police were contacted and he was arrested without the use of a social security number we would not have been able to identify him the women and children in that building would have been at risk i can Thank say you two or comments. three other incidents Thank you,
2: okay, the last pre-registered speaker is Bill Fraser.
1: Yeah, hello, uh, am I on?
0: Yes, whenever you're ready.
1: okay, thank you, yeah, yeah, my name is Bill Fraser. I live in Seattle uh, my wife and I have been providers of affordable housing in shoreline for 20 years, Seattle. and uh, as well as Seattle. Um, but I will be addressing uh, just two of the proposals on this uh, ordinance 996. <clears throat> First one is the proposed cap on late fees of one 1.5%. One I think this is way too low as it does not provide an incentive to pay rent on time tenants would likely choose to pay other bills first, such as utilities, which have a 10% late fee. The other one is the number two, is the alteration of rent due dates based on people having fixed income receipt dates that are going beyond the first of the month. I think this should not be enacted because it puts a landlord in position of being a lender and they're loaning money that they need to operate the property. Uh, I think a tenant can simply budget to pay that rent based on the money they receive uh, the prior month. So both of these provisions in the ordinance um, proposals, the capital aid fees and the adjusting due dates are really an unreasonable burden on the landlord who are trying to provide affordable housing. The providers need a steady flow of income to cover the steady flow of regular expenses, and for all the unexpected repair and maintenance expenses that come up. And I noticed that the city uh, has a, a goal. The goal is quote, you know, is called goal number four, of a focus on equity. And I agree that there should be equity, but. Equity also needs to include equity for the providers. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: Thank you. All right, that concludes our remote. Is there anyone else in person who did not have a chance to sign up who'd like to speak? Just come on up to the podium. Yeah, go for it.
24: Hello, good evening. My name is uh, Harpreet dollywall I'm a resident, uh, family-invested uh, landlord and uh, business owners in Shoreline. Um, So I speak wearing a little bit of a different hat because I think I've listened to arguments from both the tenant side and the landlord side. And I think what's important is we all share a collective interest in Shoreline community. Um, We built small businesses there. We're in the process of building a clinic to serve the community. So when I speak to you, I don't speak to you from a landlord's hat. I speak to you from a community member's hat. And with that hat on, I would urge a further discussion of some of the uh, details of Ordinance 996. Uh, Mr. Jeff Levine and the gentleman before me uh, addressed very well, I think, the fact that a one and a half percent late fee uh, doesn't mitigate uh, enough of the offset of other late fees that tenants might prioritize. And while I understand. The intent is only to uh, protect against a handful of bad actors. What I would argue is the restrictions actually imposed uh, affect us as landlords. They affect our ability to be able to provide housing at an affordable cost uh, right off the bat. And furthermore, I think revisiting some of these issues, uh, particularly with the late fee and with the proposed length of time that we need to give for rent increases would not only allow us to help the homelessness issue here, but provide further equity and to serve the community. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Is there anyone, anyone else in person who would like to speak who has not already spoken? All right, I'm gonna go ahead and close the public comment period. Next up is the consent calendar. Deputy Mayor.
5: I move approval of the consent calendar.
0: Second. Will the clerk please call the vote?
2: Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Member Ramsdell. Aye. Councilmember Member Mort aye council member mcconnell aye Councilmember member Pobey?
0: Aye. all right consent calendar passes unanimously next up is action item 8a which is an action on ordinance number 1000 milestone uh amending chapters 20.40 and 20.50 of the shoreline municipal code related to ground floor non-residential and it looks like we have mr dom and mr bauer
25: thank you mayor and deputy mayor and council good to be with you this evening and yeah milestone 1000 proud to be uh the the one thousandth ordinance uh, that we presented to you. I thought there'd be balloons or we free visits for life. I guess is what we get. Free visits, Mr. Don. <laughs> <laughs> more ordinances. Yeah, more ordinances. Um, we're, <laughs> we are also joined online by our consultant Patrick Doherty. Unfortunately, um, has had a, a family <coughs> emergency. He won't be able to join us in person, but I believe that he is with us remotely. All right, great. So uh, we'll just jump right in. We went through this in great detail on the 20th and uh, really dug into your comments, questions, um, and and input and hopefully you'll see all that reflected in the staff report, uh, which you have and we'll just quickly breeze through um, the highlights of some of those changes. Um, and we will just start with a little bit of a background. Um, we uh, adopt, the city adopted, um, and sort of a pilot project um, for ground floor commercial requirements limited to the Ridgecrest and North City commercial areas in 2020, and uh, it, the Council set a goal of monitoring and evaluating how that went and applying the lessons learned citywide, and so that's what we did then in early, uh, or sorry, uh, mid-2023 with the interim regulations of Ordinance 968. And those uh, required those ground floor commercial requirements uh, citywide. Those interim regulations expire December 13th of this year, and so we are right on schedule um, with action uh, proposed for you tonight to replace those temporary uh, interim regulations with permanent regulations. Um, in this specific process, we we began with the public process uh, back in September, um, but as I mentioned when we met. Uh, Last time, we actually began this work uh, with Patrick uh, right alongside us while you were discussing, debating those uh, interim regulations and included public outreach. We don't include that on this uh, uh, overview here um, and surveys um, and meetings with uh, stakeholders. So lots of work has been done um, and uh, including the discussion that we had with you last time, and for this section, I will turn it over to Patrick and we will run through um, some of the feedback we collected from you and, uh, and some of the uh, changes that you will be seeing and discussing tonight. And I have to apologize for that little typo there um, on that third bullet. Ground floor residential requirements do not conflict, just to be clear. So Patrick, if you're able to yes. chime in, there you go.
26: Yeah, thank you Nathan, can you hear me? Yes. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Uh, Yeah, so this slide, and it'll take a little bit of time to go through, but I'll do it quickly, uh, is a summary of the issues and questions that were raised by Council members last time. So I just wanted to summarize some responses to the questions you raised. Uh, The first one was related to um, a comment you heard and even uh, recommendations that we presented related to narrow lots. And um, I think we heard that it's possible that on the most, on the narrowest of lots, that there still could be some difficulty in meeting all the requirements, including the ground floor commercial. And we stated that the administrative design review, um, the departure available through that process would be the appropriate way to address that. And uh, we were just asked to confirm that, confirm that the language um, uh, allows for that. And so um, we did did indeed confirm that, although we did identify a small issue that's gonna come up in a couple slides related to a cross-reference from the administrative design review section back to that section so it was a very timely question to raise but yes indeed that uh, those such departures would be allowable through our administrative design review process another question that arose was related to um, the amount, uh, the width of the amount of ground floor commercial as 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 a width the 75% or the 60%. And uh, again, it was a question for us to make sure we could reconfirm, go back into the code language uh, and reconfirm that it's based on the width of the building, not the width of the property. And we were able to confirm that. It's written in more detail in your report, but we were able to confirm that. So these are very good questions, keeping us honest and making sure that we're doing the right thing. And that's great um similarly uh there was a question related to uh, ground floor commercial um requirements and how they relate to overall commercial requirements there's a section uh 20 uh, smc 205240 which basically lays out some basic minimum standards for all commercial buildings in the city not just this mixed use concept that we've mostly been addressing And so we just confirmed uh, again, by going back to the code and what we're proposing that our minor tweaks to that section um, don't create any conflicts. And the only thing it really does is just make the minimum height from floor to floor of 15 feet be the same in any kind of commercial building as it would be in mixed use buildings. And this is trying to create some basic minimum standards. This height is very important to ensuring the most flexibility over the life of a building for a range of tenants. And we think that's just as appropriate In a mixed-use building as it is in a standalone commercial building Uh, then there was a question related to um, public places you may know that in our uh, code uh, there's a requirement uh, for a certain amount of public place and it's in the it's required along the street front or through a path if it's further into the site through a path directly from the street front and um, in order again not to have a conflict between providing your on-floor commercial and providing the the public place we have proposed um, a standard that allows for that depth of the public place to be treated as the non-residential depth that's required if it's adjacent to and designed in an integrated way uh, cohesively with the commercial. So basically that's saying that we would love to see public spaces that are provided uh, in concert with commercial such that cafes could open up into public space, or even uh, just the sales of retail out into open space so that there's a more lively streetscape with both the commercial and the public spaces that support them. So, uh, and then another question was related to the grocery store ready space. You may recall that we proposed that an up to 20 foot height bonus be allowable for um, grocery store ready space being provided. That again would be only provide, uh, only required. Excuse me. Only allowed as a departure through the design um, review process, the administrative design review process, as I mentioned earlier, that could be possible for narrow lots exceptions as well. And we were asked to look into whether there should be a definition of grocery store and um, how that would work just over time. So again, we confirmed that um, Administrative Design Review would allow for this. That cross-reference I mentioned uh, that will come up in a moment is actually for that, not the first one. I'm sorry to have said that wrong, but you'll see the cross-reference in a moment. Um, But we also addressed the notion of uh, two things related to grocery stores. One is that it's very uh, purposeful that we said grocery store ready space, not necessarily occupancy. What that means is a building that may stand there for 75 to 100 years, we cannot guarantee of course at any one time that there will be a grocery store present in that space but if a developer comes forward and he says his his or her intention is to build a space that could accommodate a grocery store maybe they have one that they're courting maybe they even have one already signed and they build that space then that would allow grocery store then for as long as that is is you know economical and in in the future similar types large format stores including grocery stores uh, so that's why we're not focusing on the occupancy and the reason we're not We would sort of advise against a definition is because there are many many uh detailed requirements for grocery stores that are very variable these days there's a lot of change in the industry and we would not want to set some standards that then shortly thereafter we would maybe find out we we didn't you know quite set the mark at the right place so what we'd likely would require and i think andrew bauer could explain this further if if you want is that when uh, proposals would come forward we would ask for detailed plans showing how they would meet the requirements of a grocery store, which could even require showing two or three other examples of similar spaces and requirements. So they show how they would meet the requirement of a grocery store versus specifying that in a lengthy bulleted list in the code. And then lastly, um, at least on this slide, uh, it was raised whether the uses that had been prohibited in the interim uh, ordinance should continue to be prohibited or not. And um, there is a proposal to consider allowing those uses, which is uh, self-explanatory and up to the council members. The only thing that we would say as staff is not to allow parking as a use in the ground floor commercial space. Uh, And it's up to you all of course to decide which of that list of uses um, should continue to be prohibited in these spaces or should uh, conversely be allowed. I think that's probably more than enough for that slide. (laughs) But two other small things, one of which I already mentioned, are uh, we identified during this process that you asked us to go back and reconfirm uh, items. The first is um, the interim ordinance had a vesting provision um, that allowed for projects that had had a pre-application submittal um, in the past, and right this second, I'm forgetting the date, Um, and I can't cross-reference everything while I'm speaking, but uh, a date in the past. And if they apply for a building permit by the end of next year, by December 31st of 2024, that those projects could be vested. Um, There was intention to continue that vesting provision in the ordinance. That's not part of the code, but the ordinance. And so we identified that omission from what you saw last time and have included that same vesting provision for your uh, consideration for approval in this ordinance in front of you. And then lastly, as I mentioned before, in reconfirming that uh, the grocery store uh, height bonus could be allowed through uh, design departure through administrative design review, uh, we noticed that we should add a cross-reference in the actual administrative design review section to the the section where the grocery store height bonus is mentioned. Uh, And it's a miter-coner vision that's already included in the ordinance in front of you as well. Uh, Let me see, is there anything while we're moving on? So yeah, so your your amendments here, oops, just making it larger so I can read it, uh, are in front of you. Um, You can, uh, one, related to the prohibition of uses. If you wish to discontinue the prohibition of uses, then you can uh, remove from that list adult use facilities, marijuana operations, retail and the following general retail trade services, check cashing services. Mr. Gardner, you, you, don't,
0: you, oh, you don't need to walk us through the language of the amendments. We've got great, them in front great. of us. Is there anything I'm further happy. on the summary?
26: Uh, you'll just, you, have the, you have the amendment there, and so you can use that. And then the next uh, one is just two related to vesting. Again, I w- definitely won't read this, but you have the, the detailed okay. vesting uh, regulation there that was in the uh, interim ordinance and uh, can continue into the proposed ordinance.
9: Great.
25: And that brings us to uh, our turn to hand it back to you for discussion, questions, action, what have you?
0: This is an action item. Is there a motion related to this action item? Deputy Mayor.
5: I move to adopt ordinance number 1000, amending regulations related to ground floor commercial space associated with multifamily building as recommended by staff and the planning commission and contained in exhibit A to attachment A.
0: Second that. Would you like to address your motion?
5: Just that I wanna recognize that this is uh, something that we hear a lot about from community members who are watching development take place and wanna make sure that there are great retail opportunities that align with the additional um, residences that are being constructed and um, that that this is the the kind of community that they they wanna live in. So um, I think the pilot project has worked out well and I look forward to uh, extending that throughout the city.
0: Yeah. Other questions or comments? Council Mark.
4: i I'm not quite clear on the vesting one, the amendatory motion number two. Is the way it's written right now allow for vesting or not?
25: It does not. So this, is, this would be an amendment. Um, and I should let Andrew take that. But I mean, it's a quick answer. At the end. No, it's not. And that's why we're proposing it as an amendment. It was in the interim ordinance. And so it 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 goes for another year beyond the life of the interim ordinance which is kind of expiring now um and so i think we identified it as sort of an oversight that we felt like this was an assumed extension that would be available um and and that that vesting would carry on for those projects through the end of december did you want to comment more on that
0: and just to clarify yeah this does not change what was adopted with the interim ordinance so in other words All the projects that were captured with that previous action you took in June Those same projects would carry forward with this permanent ordinance. There wouldn't be any new projects captured.
4: Thank you Uh, Mayor I would like to make that amendment. Okay. Do you want me to make that now? Yes, please I move to amend the main motion to include a new section 6 to the ordinance related to vesting as follows section six vesting except for properties located in lower city do i need to read the whole thing you don't thank you <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't going <laughs> to stop you if you wanted <laughs> to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've noted
0: we've noted your, your move, yeah. <laughs> thank you all right is there there, there was a second yes. right, would you like to speak for the motion? Uh,
4: i think that um you know we previously set the expectation that there would be vesting since there's no new properties being added i think we should continue on that as staff has suggested
0: thank you i'm voting for this but i do want to clarify this vesting is a state law requirement we have vesting whether we vote for this or not this is vesting plus this is an application that's not yet complete right that's, that's a more correct. accurate summary okay yes. all right um but the reason for going for vesting plus is i mean yeah we got it so uh would the clerk please call the vote oh, sorry and we're voting only on the motion to amend
2: mm-hmm. councilmember pobey aye councilmember mcconnell aye councilmember ramsdell aye Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Council Member
0: Mark? Aye. All right, the motion to amend passes. Are there other motions to amend or questions? I actually had a question on proposed amendment one. Does the Planning Commission recommendation currently uh, exempt parking? And so this motion would just remove some of the prohibitions but leave parking intact? Exactly, yeah, parking was was included in that list of prohibited uses.
25: Okay. And so this motion was to keep parking but take out those others. Okay. Were, Thank you. Yeah.
0: Any other questions, comments? Will the clerk please call the vote on the uh, main motion as amended?
2: Yes. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdow. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. I feel like I have one more but okay yeah. council Member McConnell <laughs> aye thank you
0: <laughs> all right the main, the main motion as amended passes unanimously thank you all for presenting and next up is study item 9a which is a continued discussion of ordinance number 996 and I've looks like uh Ms. Wolberg done yeah mm-hmm. I'm good thanks
27: good evening mayor and council uh, again i'm bethany Warwick dunn i'm the city's community services manager and i am here to uh, share additional information as requested by council regarding the proposed tenant protections and uh, regarding the proposed ordinance 996 So, again, just as uh, some background information, um, the Washington State Landlord Tenant Act provides basic tenant protections for shoreline residents, as it does for residents throughout the state of Washington. The COVID 19 pandemic further uh, uh, made worse economic instability and the housing shortage in shoreline and throughout the region. And after COVID-related tenant protections expired. There has been an increased movement to expand tenant protections in the region. And as some of our speakers have also shared, uh, there are varying levels of tenant protections being enacted uh, throughout King County and in uh, several cities, several of our neighboring cities. The council first held a general discussion on what tenant protections were, what rights shoreline uh, residents currently had at their June 22nd, 2022 meeting. Council asked for additional uh, meeting and discussion at your strategic retreat last March in 2023. And we were here a few weeks ago with our initial proposed set of tenant protections on November 20th. Again, additional information was requested for, from council uh, or by council for staff to further research, and we are back with that information and for you to hold additional discussion. So these slides have not changed from uh, November 20th, but just to review, uh, we have proposed uh, six additional, uh, or six tenant protections that would be specific to shoreline tenants. One being the notice of rent increase, that there would be required 120 day notice for base rent increases greater than 3%, but less than 10%, or 180 day for base rent increases of 10% or greater. Regarding move-in fees and security deposit, uh, the proposed protection would uh, be that all move-in fees and security deposits cannot exceed one month's rent and additionally allows for installation payments in certain situations. Regarding late fees, late fees will not exceed one and a half percent of the tenant's monthly rent. Uh, And this, uh, the right to a payment plan, again, for that upfront fees, deposit, first, last month's rent, etc. Um, our protection that we're proposing, again, that installments payments may, must be allowed when requested in writing by the tenant, and that the timeframe that's allowable depends on the length of the lease. Uh, regarding alteration of a rent due date, again, this is something that the tenant must propose in writing, that the due date for their rent. Would be altered to a different date that matches um, their um, the day they get their primary if when their primary source of income is a regular monthly source of government assistance. And regarding uh, barring requirement of a social security number, uh, the proposed protection is that a secure social security number cannot be required. This proposed ordinance provides uh, for a private right of action, which means the city uh, is not uh, the enforcement of these uh, protections, that it allows the tenant to take their landlord to court um, as a remedy. Uh, Similar protections have been enacted by neighboring King County cities and, uh, as folks have mentioned, uh, unincorporated King County and the city of Seattle. There is a detailed list, I believe it's attachment B that was shared last time and is also included in your packet that provides a summary of the uh, protections as a comparison. Moving forward, if council chooses to uh, approve this ordinance in in whatever form it turns out to be, we would have planned education in currents through our human services partners and through social media. So regarding, uh, again, follow-up discussion questions, Uh, I will be going through several slides that is providing additional information as requested by council. And so first question was regarding late fees. There were several comments made about uh, percentage of, you know, what is the city's uh, late fee percentage on our wastewater utility. So I did find that most utilities, including Seattle City Light, uh, Seattle uh, PSE, have a one percent late fee, and I would note that they also have additional financial assistance programs, whether that is low income, senior rates, and they also allow for folks to, if they are, you know, gotten well behind on a bill, to work uh, through a payment plan with them. The city wastewater, the approved fees that the, you know the council approves on a yearly basis. Recently, it was changed to have late fees of, of 10%. It is 10%, but it is only imposed on accounts that are set, sent it to collection and that do not create and comply with a payment plan. So again, it is 10%, just to be clear, but it's only imposed on accounts that are sent to collections and that do not create and, and basically work with the city to repay. Uh, and kind of the outlier was North City Water does have a 10% late fee. Regarding potential options for the late fee cap, again, we do continue to recommend the one and a half percent late fee. Uh, We feel that the percentage of rent is a more equitable uh, than a simple dollar amount, and it does match the percentage that is imposed uh, as part of neighboring jurisdictions, tenant protections. Uh, In terms of alternates, um, we have recommended either two or three percent. So this is the question of what is the is there a causation between rental protections and increased rent and drop in rental rates? So after much research, um, I have found uh, various articles that provided um, basically opinion pieces um, on both sides of the issue. Uh, one I did find regarding a uh, rent control in San Francisco did show that it increased. Uh, renters' probabilities of staying in their addresses for nearly 20%, but it did reduce the housing uh, rental supply by 15% and increased rent by 5.1%. Again, we do not have rent control in the state of Washington, so in terms of whether that kind of information can be applicable to this, perhaps is a little bit of a stretch, but I just wanted to make sure that we did find some actual uh, studies that were out there, and as we've discussed previously many factors do affect rental rates including general uh, inflation cost of building materials cost of housing uh, in in and homes for sale etc is a social security number required for a credit report so i think the short uh, answer to this is for your classic going in, getting a credit report that from the like the three major credit agencies, it is most easily done with a social security number. There's really no other way to speak to that. Um, again, they may still request a number, but it cannot be required. And uh, I would uh, suppose that most tenants would be uh, open to providing that number. Uh, again, we are encouraging that there's a continued development of more equitable means of screening using additional information, and as noted in attachment uh, B, several other cities have this same requirement, and so we feel that it would be in line with, again, what our neighboring cities are, are, have, have put into place. This is where we get to a little bit of the technical questions that I (laughs) may ask Margaret to comment on if you have further questions. In terms of uh, what uh, private right of action and the tenant is allowed to um, file a claim on, uh, what is meant by economic and non-economic damages? So the the Landlord-Tenant Act, the state act, does not define specifically what amounts to economic and non-economic damages, but generally law uh, in the state of Washington shows that there is objectively verifiable money, monetary losses, including loss of earnings, loss of cost of replacement, moving expenses, et cetera. So non-economic damages are generally those that include suffering, inconvenience, or emotional distress. So the next question is, is the total amount of recoverable damage three times the monthly base rent or three times the monthly base rent per violation? And again, the three times monthly rent is a remedy that is provided under the landlord, uh, the State Landlord Act. And uh, since that's dealing with eviction, here the statute is very specific in that the landlord is found to have wrongfully evicted a tenant. That is when the remedy can be imposed. Uh, Does the judge have leeway to impose a liability less than uh, or greater of double the tenant's economic and non-economic damages or three times the base monthly rent? And no, uh, the court does not have discretion to award less than the remedy that's noted in the act. Question came up, does move-in fees uh, include the application fee, and in our proposed Tenant improvement language uh, or proposed code, move-in fees are one-time non-refundable fees before a tenant may take possession, and that staff considers an application fee to be a one-time non-refundable fee. And then in terms of the proposed tenant protection that allows for uh, a tenant to request that their move-in costs are spread out over an installment. If the tenant defaults on that installment, the landlord may treat that default as rent owing and may move towards eviction. We also had a question from uh, several council members regarding uh, further options for uh, looking at a rental registration program. As noted in the staff report, we provided just basic information on the rental registration programs that are available uh, in the Washington, kind of up and down the I-5 corridor from Auburn, Bellingham, Kent, Lacey, Renton, and Tacoma. They really do vary uh, from simple registration, you know, a landlord has to simply register with a small fee each unit, or it's a category of business license Uh, like it is in Tacoma. And then other programs such as Bellingham have periodic inspection. They inspect on a three year um, rotating basis. And some do uh, add limited code enforcement capabilities within uh, those programs. And we are recommending that if Council is this something that Council is looking to to uh, look at further, that we uh, would have that be another uh, meeting to discuss and to be able to analyze. You know, this we just provided basic information, but more the pros and cons of those type of programs, why those were put into place, and if we have similar needs in shoreline that we would see. You know, what's the reason behind adding? a rental registration program, what problems are we trying to solve? So that would be our recommendation to to take it a step further and study it uh, more in depth. So again this evening, uh, with that additional information, happy to answer any other questions after council discussion. Uh, looking for you to provide uh, direction for final ordinance 996. And then as of now, we are scheduled to return for action next Monday, December 11th, 2023. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. This is a study item, so if there are questions or discussion from Council. Member Povey. Thank you very
28: much. Appreciate this. Um, what really has impressed me most is um, the detailed feedback you know, provided based on the questions that were asked two weeks ago. um, I really like the response to the application fee. That's one-time refundable, and so that's great. Uh, If a tenant applies and pays about 250, for example, because the postmark charges $250 for application fee, what I do know is that if it doesn't go through, if your application doesn't move forward, they refund the money to you, so it just makes sense. Aside that, I love what I see. Thank
0: you. Other questions or comments? Councillor Devin so, Sorry, your, your hand signals were more cryptic than usual. I wasn't sure if I wanted to speak or not.
5: <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <coughs> okay, so we heard, we heard, first of all, I want to thank everybody who spoke, right, online, in person. Um, this is obviously very important policy for us to consider as a city. Um, and, you know, I just to be on like straightforward, council member Pobie and I uh, sponsored bringing this item forward. Uh, I am in support of moving forward with tenant protections. And um, through the course of discussion, there m- maybe some of my colleagues will want to uh, tweak or suggest tweaks to this. I hope the bulk of this uh, moves forward for a vote. Um, and I look forward to supporting that. Um, and that's not because I'm not hearing the conversation that's that's taking place and the conflict, the direct conflict that we're hearing on, on two sides of the issue. And for me, this is gonna come down to being able to say with, you know, with confidence when I'm asked the question, what are you doing to support or solve the homeless crisis, right? And for me, one of the things that we just keep hearing over and over again is keeping people housed, keeping them in their homes and that's a much Less less the lesser financial burden on the community and society as a whole um, Than what's happening now. So I do want to just ask that question and not sure who's the best to answer it though There are we know there are miserable landlords out there and we know there are horrible tenants So maybe just a a minute to to talk about what happens like what what can you do when you have
27: um, a horrible tenant? That is a great question. <laughs> and I think we've heard some of our public speakers share what they've actually done with their tenants that they've liked to keep in their, you know, in their property. Um, I think it mostly revolves around paying rent and um, their ability to evict. And we have also heard that the eviction process is a very slow uh, process based on um, the impact on our court system. So I think, um, you know, unfortunately, that is um, the one uh, way they do have to have a tenant move on if they do not want them living there anymore. We also, one thing we did not address in our proposed um, tenant protections that other cities did is um, the lease loophole. So at the end of a lease, um, you know, a a 12-month lease, they don't have to the person, regardless of an increase in rent, they don't have the right to stay. So that is a still, they still have the ability, a landlord at the end of the lease can still have them not live there anymore, um, does not have to renew the lease. So that's another option as well. Thank you. Yep.
0: Council Member
28: Uh Thank you, Mayor, and thank you for that presentation. I do appreciate that you did emphasize that a landlord may request, but shall not require a social security number. I think there's been a lot of misunderstanding uh, in the public and from uh, landlords that um, that I think some of them that I've spoken to have been under the impression that there's a ban to ask for the social security number. So I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that during uh, your presentation. Um, I, I do have a question about um, the, the private right of action. So, um, um I'm kind of wondering like so if uh, kind of based on the wording um, just this this might be a very rare circumstance, but let's say um, hypothetically a landlord uh, uh, let's say forgets to tell p- people that the social social security number is optional um, and then the the uh, um, uh, the the tenant finds out that that uh, the the uh, landlord uh, omitted uh, that important piece of information from the ordinance. Um, could then that tenant then um, uh, uh, sue the landlord for uh, three times uh, the month- monthly base rent? Thank you.
27: That's a great question, and I'm going to take a uh, try at it, and then I'll probably look to Margaret to see if I was close. Um, within its, our proposed code language, uh, section 9.35.090 talks about violation of, of the chapter by the landlord and the liability. And so if they, again, let's just say with your example, Councilmember Ramstel, Ramsdell, uh, they demanded it or told the person, I won't rent to you unless you provide this to me, then the tenant or the um, potential tenant would have the right to take that. A landlord to court, whether that be small claims court or otherwise, uh, and to claim it would be the greater of the double of the tenant's economic and non-economic damages or three times the monthly base rent. So if they could prove that they had to, um, again, just for example, they had to move out of another building and they had to do two weeks in a uh, hotel or something, that could be, they could claim that as damage. Whether or not as it works through the um, small claims court or other other courts, whether that would, they, if they're not found, you know, if the landlord is not found liable, then of course they would not um, pay the tenant. Margaret, was that
29: as currently written, the ordinance does not create a distinction for what kind of violations, and so I agree with Councilman Member Ramsdell that that technically is possible. I, I think the economic damages at the very beginning would—that would be an interesting question. What those economic damages are. Um, so then it would be three times the proposed rent. Um, so that—that that is how the, the ordinance is currently written. That is correct.
28: Okay. I, thank you. Um, I, so, uh, so to help me understand, so let's say um, if the if that um part of private right of action was instead it was changed from uh shell to may be liable would that give let's say the would that be in uh, conflict with the tenants rights uh, act of washington and um also would that if if that is allowed would that allow the judge to have a little more discretion on uh, to what level that the um that the penalty would be thank you
27: Are you talking about changing the language in the proposed code from shall be liable to may be liable?
3: Correct, correct.
29: That would give the court discretion, but it would also give the court discretion on the entire ordinance for any violation.
28: Which we don't want, thank you. Another question uh, I have um, is, um, I brought up this question uh, two weeks ago and kind of following up on my question about um, allowing rent withholdings for repairs or habit- habitability issues. Um, I did a little bit of research. I looked at um, RCW 5918 and then cross-referenced that with the Washington Bar Association information and the Washington Law Help information. And, and from my reading, and, and it might be incorrect, that Washington is a state that does not allow uh, rent withholding. There are certain Kind of mitigating uh, steps like 24 hours uh, the the, uh, the uh, tenant uh, writes a letter to the to the uh, uh, landlord uh, uh, if there's they have the landlord has 24 hours to restore heat hot or cold water or in electricity 72 hours to f- fix a refrigerator range or oven 10 days in all other areas um, there's uh, and it seems like there's an element to put money in escrow um, but there's no means of a for a, um, a tenant to uh, withhold rent, as is the case in 17 other states in the country. So um, I'd be interested in introducing an amendment uh, to allowing um, uh, uh, rent withholdings for repairs and habitability issues that that is currently not in the ordinance. Um, Thank you.
23: All
0: right, Council Member, I I see, I apologize. I I lost myself there were a study session you're asking about that. Um, I would ask that you add to that whether we can. I mean, my, 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 so I, I believe that Washington actually does allow it. But I also think the RLTA may preempt us from doing that. So if we could just get that information, we'll take a
4: look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Councilmember Moore.
4: Thank you, Mayor. If I could just extend uh, Councilmember Ramsdale's question for you, Miss King. Do you have to have been, be an actual tenant to have the private right of action? So if the person said, you must give me the security number, your social security number in order to rent this, and and they said no, could they go and do a private right action without signing the lease?
29: Well, arguably, because it would be my understanding that um, the way the ordinance is written, they cannot demand that, and you would not be in the position of being a tenant if they didn't lease to you because you didn't provide it.
4: Thank you. <laughs> what what happens now? So so if there is a disagreement between the tenant and the landlord, where there's a, a, something that happens which is problematic, what what can the tenant do?
29: Are you talking about going back to the withholding of rent? Or? No, to, to,
4: right now. If you, it, can the tenant sue the landlord, or can the tenant do something? Is there? What, what does this get that we, they don't have right now?
29: Well, it creates specific remedies and it creates certain requirements on landlords that are more clear than under the state law. So overall, that's what this ordinance does. It puts caps on um, late fees, things like that. Is, that. is that what you're asking?
4: No, no, I'm asking specifically for the private right of action. It, for the right now, for the if there is a disagreement between a tenant and a landlord, what options does a tenant have if they if they don't have? Do they have private right of action right now that I don't that it, that we I don't know?
29: Yes, they do. Um, but again, it wouldn't be. For some of the specific things in this ordinance, okay. it would be more under the Landlord Tenant Act and under the lease itself, whatever the terms of the lease that they're alleging were breached.
27: So there are, um, as other council members have alluded to, uh, the Landlord, uh, the Washington State Landlord Tenant Act has basic a long list of duties of the landlord, uh, as was mentioned, they have to provide a reasonable amount of heat, um, water, all you know, some basic uh, life health standards that are within there. They currently have it would be again the same private right of action to, um, if there was an issue between uh, the tenant and the landlord. Our proposal adds. Uh, certain rights to that as additional, additional protections on top of the
4: state law. Thank you, I, I got confused with yeah. all that, so I, I really appreciate that. I, I had a few other questions. Uh, why are you thinking, I, I have a problem with the late fees. Um, I, I've, as I think that uh, if I could quote my colleague, uh, Ms. Robertson, I completely agree that there are bad landlords and good landlords and bad tenants and good tenants and we're trying to balance and as part of that balance part of it is um having having landlord have a reasonable tool to make sure that that people pay on time and uh um, you know when you can get five percent on your money in the bank i i don't see how one and a half percent does it why are you uh, advocating only two or three percent. So um,
27: again, staff is coming in with one and a half percent, and part of that is to um, to really uh, have, there's you know precedent set by other cities in the area, so we do feel that there would be a lot of commonality there, both for tenants that are living you know throughout our region and landlords that have properties in different areas. And we are, I think, uh, in terms of a staff recommendation, and we've we, I said this last a couple of weeks ago, we do still feel pretty strongly that a lot of these uh, tenant protections are are. Better handled at a state level, but there has been no action has been taken at the state level yet, Um, and so I think it just comes down to having an equitable percentage, a lower percentage. Uh, Again, an example that other uh, speakers have shared is that they're just—it's going to get more behind, and there's—it's harder to crawl out if there is a much higher uh, late fee attached to that.
4: And, And I appreciate that. Uh, I also just I think we can't have it so that the landlord everything is against the landlord and there's nothing for them So we need to they need to have a tool to get rent and I did read that very frightening uh, Letter to that was in the Seattle Times and it, you could see how that was uh, Really inspirational the one thing that came up uh, and I really appreciate incidentally all the people who took the time to make comments uh, really inf- informational and important uh, one of the comments that was up w- regarded this posting preparing and delivering a notice and I noticed you put it in the in the staff report uh, I would like to make sure that that gets added I don't think that the lay feed should, incur, should include anything like that so I'd like to make sure that that's, that's part of it uh, the, the notice of Um, the social security number uh, question what is the problem we are trying to solve why why are we doing this
27: so there is um, I would say generally some movement or research that has um, taken up the opinion that the use of social security numbers and credit reports do have some underlying racism embedded into the program, into the system, and to how credit numbers are produced and um, credit is provided over time. So I think that is one of the largest uh, factors in looking for other ways to have landlords have the ability to find if someone, if a potential renter um, meets their qualifications, will be a good tenant to them. We're asking, uh, again, again, Most I would still estimate that a lot of folks would still provide their social security number, but um, we are looking at encouraging ways to expand ways to screen tenants. And this is one way, again, as has been shown in other cities as well um, in the area. So that is basically That's what, what our see. recommendation
4: comes down to. I, I just didn't understand the background for sure. it. So, Absolutely. so thank you. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the notice of the rent increases, uh, if you if a landlord asks for a 2.9 percent rate increase, what time period do they have to give people notice for that?
27: May I look to my notes?
4: <laughs> yeah. Because there's a lot of numbers. So it's three percent is when the first.
27: So it's 100 120 days of less than uh, less than three percent. If less than three percent. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Let me
4: double-check. I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I think it's on your... I think it's greater than three. Can
27: you use your mic? Sorry, less than three is 60 days. Between three and 10 is 120 days. Thank you.
4: Sorry. Thank you. So conceivably, a landlord could raise the rent 2.9% every 60 days without going through a well, notice I, if they have a lease they can't they obviously can't. yes yeah.
27: correct so if they're on if they've moved to a month-to-month lease they would they could do yes it would be a different situation
4: okay
30: thank you thank you Council mcconnell um, so i've i've been on both sides of this you know as a renter oh i think all of us have, and, and I'm feeling like in general, I would be supporting something like this, an ordinance to protect tenants who are vulnerable for evictions, et cetera. Um, however, having been a landlord for uh, many decades, I think there are so many unintended consequences because I've done this so long that that's gonna really, Backfire on on tenants, and uh, so so the sixty day notice I'm okay with the hundred twenty day notice is another group between three percent and up to ten. I I would like to propose an amendment for the time we vote that to to keep it at three percent. over for 120 days because here's what happens at hundred and eighty as you've heard every organization who actually is in this business they are going to drive it right up to 10% they have to because that is a half a year and I don't want to do that I don't think anyone wants to and you repeatedly heard we don't want to evict people so the the group that we're talking about are people who are falling through the cracks for lots of reasons that are probably outside the control of even a landlord. So I always think the real problem is living wage and a bunch of other stuff we're not even addressing. Um, and, and the fact that whether you try to do something in Shoreline, it's gonna keep, you know, people are unfortunately gonna to have to keep moving further and further outside the city limits to get what they can afford. It's, you know, so we can try to do something here in Shoreline, but I, I'm gonna tell you that I already have been told by many people who own small little, you know, just one or two things in Seattle that they are not keeping their places. So, you know, whether we have data or not, People are saying that that's what's happening. And so we're re- really losing an affordability component of this market because these are the houses. All my houses, are not they're not brand new and shiny. They're small, little two bedrooms, three bedrooms, one, two bath. And it's not like I have a lot, but I bought them because they were affordable, and I keep them affordable. Um, I have some other things I was going to say, but I want to give... Usually, when I say something, gives you know, kind of gets everybody thinking about something else. The other, um, the other, oh, sorry. Because I just took a lot of notes when I heard from both sides. I mean, I really do believe this is a passionate uh, topic on both sides, and and I'm always looking for a win-win. But I'm not sure that we're really even dealing with the real issue. We had this horrible pandemic. You never heard from landlords that we couldn't. I mean, we, we couldn't even, uh, let let alone raise rent. You know, We had to lay, basically keep people in units, whether they paid or not. Now, when you do that for two, three years, you, this is one of the things that's driving the eviction rate up because people are just trying to recoup, recover financially. And uh, anyway, uh, the other thing I wanted to strike out was, I'm not too happy with the light beam being, 1.5%, so if um, Council Member Mork is interested in something uh, like 3%, I mean, I just don't think this council's gonna wanna drive up a higher number, but 1.5% is, is you know, it will prioritize somebody paying their utility bill before a huge thing like a mortgage or, or um, uh, you know, rental. That should be the highest priority. And uh, okay, the, uh, I've got other things probably, but I will, I will send in any other amendments that I that I want. Okay, thank you.
0: All right, thank thank you for get around to. I had some questions and comments as well. Um, I, so I have had the same meetings everyone has. I've met, I met with former uh, council member Chang. I met with housing owners. I met with all kinds of folks. Um, and I've also represented landlords for quite a while, though I don't do evictions. Um, I think we all, at this point, have a pretty good sense of what's at stake, although there are some things that I think are are, we're all kind of talking past each other a bit. For starters, just to clarify, we're not prohibiting the use of a credit score, correct? Correct. The only thing we're doing is a social security number. Correct. Um, I've had every answer under the sun as to whether it's required or not. The small, or sorry, the more institutional landlords that I met with said no. They do credit checks without it. They don't use it for that what they use it for is collections. And my experience with collections has been that it's easier with collections, but you can do it otherwise. You can find a way to find somebody. And my understanding of why we're not asking for it is not only what you talked about, which is fuzzy, um, but that not everybody has one, and that it becomes a proxy for excluding people who don't have them. And you can be legally entitled to be here, you can be legally entitled to rent and not have a social security number. So since I haven't heard from anybody, that it's 100% required to do a credit check. I've heard the credit checks aren't as good. I've heard they're harder to do. I'm not convinced on that. I don't see why we need to require a social security number. You can ask for it, and most people will give it. Um, Council Member, former Council Member Chang had a couple of points, though. One minor, but I thought was, was valid. Um, she owns properties and she charges pet fees, which are in addition to a normal security deposit. It seems to me that that is a reasonable addition. So, are those included or excluded in the move-in?
27: No, because they are not a requirement uh, to move in. A, as a, um, it would be in a, it would not be a, attached to that. I don't believe because uh, again, I don't have to have a pet. <laughs> it, yeah. it, so, it, no, it would be. They would still be able to charge that fee. Would be uh, acceptable on top of our the limit that we put on. Okay. So, so, and
0: and, and her request, which I think is reasonable, is that we call that out. She said she didn't understand it as a, as a non-lawyer landlord and that she thought there would be a lot of confusion about whether it was or wasn't allowed. That,
29: that can be clarified. Yeah, okay. we can yeah, clarify that.
0: Um, a, a couple of other just more global comments. Um, the 180-day notice for me, I mean, it's, it's an inconvenience to landlords. I get that. But that's not designed to be rent control. I mean, you can still raise the rents. It's, it's designed to give somebody notice that they may not be able to afford to live here and that they may need time to find another place. And if they are on a limited income, if they're on Section 8, you can't do that in a month because there's not a lot of options. So for me, the inconvenience and the potential that some landlords are going to game the system by saying, aha, I'm charging the maximum every time then. OK, right? I and mean, that's not the goal here. And landlords game it too much, and they're going to start losing tenants. So I'm not convinced on that, and I think that's a very reasonable restriction. There is a problem with the remedy section, I think. Um, because stepping back a bit, the RLTA does provide remedies and it provides a list of things, but it's a very limited list. So this is stuff that's outside of the RLTA. RLTA, you've gotta have standing, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think you have to be a tenant. You can't rely on the RLTA itself. So what we've done is we've taken that style of remedy and imposed it here, and I'm not sure it fits. Because under the language of this, you could have somebody, and it's always a lawyer like me, um, who's like, aha, I'm gonna form a cottage industry about this. I'm gonna start (laughs) advertising for tenants. Oh, was your notice 178 days? Well, guess what? You can hit the jackpot, right? And the way we've written it, that's true. If there's even a ministerial violation, there's no choice. You get either three months rent or actual damages. There's no option damages here. Well, you still get a $6,000 check from somebody who who made a clerical error. So I think that's fixed. Council Member Rams, I appreciate your attempt. I think it's fixed by adding the words economic or non-economic and and non-economic damages or up to three months of rent. And that then gives the court leeway to impose a a ceiling up to three months or to say, look, this is a technical violation. We're not gonna do the maximum here. This this, this, This wasn't the intent of the council to deter. Lastly, a word on why I, I am still a believer in the private right of action. You do, you can sue your landlord, but you gotta pay a lawyer, you don't get those fees back, and you're suing over hundreds of thousands of dollars. No lawyer's gonna take that. I mean, you have gotta find a free lawyer, and right now if you get evicted, you get that. But if you're not being evicted, if you're just being charged this crazy bunch of moving fees, you don't have a remedy because no one's going to represent you, and nobody's going to go to court on their own for that. So I don't, I, I believe in that, but I, I think the, the remedy is excessive. Um, in terms of the move-in fee, I su- I'm supportive of it. The idea that tenants are gaming this, they're saying, gosh, I'm gonna invest the money at 5% instead of 3.5% that I would have gained, you know, and therefore I'm gonna earn a dollar $1.87. That's just not happening. People are being flaky, which is a problem, but it's not a problem that I think you, you meet by having a $200 late fee. Or more likely, something happened, and they had to pay their utilities first and then the rent can't be paid, and adding two months of rent that are due, plus a late fee, nobody wins there. Um, it's mostly what I had. I, I would, we're gonna open it up again for more comments, but I would ask that several of us have said, I'd like to see this amendment, I'd like to see that amendment. If we can put specifics in writing and email them in to city staff, Is, do, are you requesting a deadline, Mr. Ellington?
27: Tomorrow.
15: <laughs>
27: Tomorrow. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, all right, so if, if we can get comments in by tomorrow, we can still amend from the floor, but it gets it gets messy mm-hmm. So if there are substantive things, please email um, Do you need all of us to follow up with emails if we'd mentioned something tonight? Or did you get down what most of us said?
27: I think it'd be preferred since we're a um, little tighter if you can okay. follow up with email All
0: right other comments on this proposed ordinance Councilman Mark? Yeah
4: um, Thank you uh, One question I would have, uh, one of the gentlemen who spoke today spoke about uh, changing apartments uh, because of a rent increase and being hit up again for all of the one-month, all of these additional charges, this one-time additional charges, even though they were already renting in that same building. Would this address this in any way? I don't think we address
27: that specifically. I think you're you're, you're speaking of I, I live in apartment 101, and I'm going to move to a cheaper apartment 103. Um, if it's a new lease, there may be that move-in fee again. I, I also, uh,
4: yeah, yes, we do not address that. Thank you. Uh, I do think that. We need to think about how this impacts uh, Rentals in the city and the way to do that is with it registration and uh, I I would not advocate for that at this time um, I'm thinking that in several years should we Get public uh, input that that's we need to look at this again. I would like to see uh, some thought put in on how to do that I agree it's very complicated. There is no consistency with the cities that you looked at. could be a big deal. Um, The only thing I would say is that uh, at the National League of Cities, that was what was really recommended that cities do. So uh, I would just like to put that out on the horizon, not right now. Uh, Thank you. Council Member.
30: Thank you, uh, Mayor, for some of your comments. Uh, am I to believe then that the Social Security, just you know, as we go along? So I ask for a credit application in the Social Security spot. If it's there and I don't get pushed back, whatever. It's, if someone doesn't have it and tells me why, then I can make a choice because, for you know, whether I let them complete the application or not, because I my overall goal is to get enough information to get a decent credit report which usually then I follow up with even a criminal background check because that's just as important for my neighborhood that you know my house belongs to so I do both so that's not going to stop me from if, if you have it on the application form and they of their own
27: free will fill it out and turn it in yeah. you can use it you cannot require them as okay. you cannot say I'm not going to accept your Um, application because you're not providing
29: okay staff will discuss this more Sure, um, because I I, I do see a potential issue if you hand somebody a credit application and it has it on there they're going to say that you were insisting that they give their social security number because it was on the application so I I think that there needs to be some clarification around that
30: okay Uh, and then the other thing uh, Mayor you mentioned was let's see uh, it was really around litigation. So was that probably the, one of the big issues that uh, former Councilmember Chang had that uh, she called me so late last night I was pretty wiped out. But, you know, those are the sort of things that are unintended consequences of, you know, starting a a blooming, uh, um, you know, attorney pool of people who are looking, you know, like ambulance stations and stuff like that. So that's what your comment was and your question was addressing
0: the, that that concern was brought up by her and i realized that that was actually a, a valid concern i mean I, she, she is free to make public comment and i encourage yeah. you to call her she had a lot of thoughts not all of which i adopted as my own sure. all okay. right okay. i
30: think
4: that's yeah. Councilor Moore, yeah i'm sorry i forgot one one other question uh does the landlord have the right to um uh, let's say for argument's sake the, the, the late fee is, you know, 2%. Does the landlord have the right to say, this is your first time being late. I'm going to charge you $10. As
27: of right now, the landlord can choose no, to?
4: No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. With this, with this. If we adopt this and it says the rate is one 1.5%. One the, the max is 1.5%. So the landlord do- can mm-hmm. charge a lesser amount Correct. as we get there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I don't think any landlord wants to make money on late fees. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? No.
0: All right. Thank you all very much. Um, housekeeping matter. Councilmember Roberts was not able to call in. Is that correct, Ms. Similchek Smith?
2: He. I saw him here, and he's he is still here.
0: Okay. So he is present. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yes. Um, WE ARE NOW GOING TO RECESS INTO AN EXECUTIVE SESSION FOR PROPERTY ACQUISITION UNDER RCW 42.30.110. DO WE HAVE AN ESTIMATE ON THE TIME? Um, 20 MINUTES. 20 20 MINUTES. minutes. ALL RIGHT. WE ARE are ANTICIPATED TO uh, BE IN RECESS FOR 20 MINUTES. THE COUNCIL IS NOT EXPECTED TO TAKE FINAL ACTION FOLLOWING THE EXECUTIVE SESSION. SO WE ARE IN RECESS. The December 4th, 2023 meeting of the Shoreline City Council is now
18: adjourned.